1: Welcome to the Useless Information Podcast. I am Steve Silverman. On Friday, January 21st of 1955, 22-year-old Everett Stenmark left his small farm near Tarnaby, Sweden, for a planned two-week hunting trip. He made the 20-mile or 32-kilometer trip on skis and took shelter in a somewhat primitive hut that was built from wood and grass. Everett was on the hunt for ptarmigan. That's a medium-sized snow-white game bird that is known as a snow chicken here in the United States. He would typically catch three to 400 birds each winter to supplement his income. He was able to sell these birds for about 60 cents each, which would be a little over $5 apiece today. The next morning, Everett awoke to a beautiful day. The sun was shining and there was not a cloud in the sky. The temperature was a sultry 18 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 8 degrees Celsius. After a hearty breakfast, he set out to collect the birds that he had caught in the snares that he had set out the week prior. Just as he was placing the fourth bird into his rucksack, he noticed that the snow was quickly piling up around his legs and that he was gently being slid down the hill. He knew instantly what this meant. Avalanche! Next thing you know, he was buried in the snow. He was lying face down with his right ski twisted up under his left leg. The majority of his body was pinned tight by the packed snow. So using his chin, he was able to dig away at the snow just enough so he could turn his head just a little bit. But it was of no use. He was finding it harder and harder to breathe and he soon passed out. Amazingly, he awoke in what he estimates to be six or seven hours later to find that his warm breath had melted an open cavity in the area that surrounded his mouth. Luckily, he was warmly dressed for the extreme Arctic cold, so he knew he wouldn't freeze to death, at least not right away. Everett assessed the situation and used his left hand, which was not pinned in place, to dig towards his right arm, which he was able to free up. This allowed him to dig under his stomach and pull out the knife that he had clipped to his belt. Now, it may not have been the perfect tool, but now he was able to scrape away at the snow above his head. And to his delight, he saw the dim blue glow of the sky above him, which confirmed that the surface couldn't be too far away. Night settled in and Everett fell asleep. He awoke the next morning to find that the heat of his body had melted a small cave that was about four feet long by two and a half feet wide. That's about 1.2 by three-quarter meters. This presented him with a new problem. The chest of his body was now sopping wet and his teeth, they were chattering from the cold. His rucksack was lodged in the roof of packed snow above him, but he was able to slowly chip away at the frozen substrate until it was loose. Ever then placed his head and shoulders into the rucksack, and soon he stopped shivering. But there was still one big problem. His legs were immobile. He had insulated his feet so well that his body he couldn't escape to melt the snow around them. He worked for hours to try to free them, but it was of absolutely no use. In the contorted position that his legs were in, he was unable to reach his feet to detach the skis. On his second day beneath the snow, hunger started to set in, so he reached for the only food source that he had. Everett had no choice but to eat raw one of the four birds that he had caught. By the third day, the cave around them had grown larger and the floor of moss and twigs beneath them started to reveal itself. Breakfast consisted of another raw bird, but now with the added delicacy of leaves. mm Once again, he went to work trying to free his legs, but it was clear that it was of no use. But he did notice something else. It was the tip of a birch branch. He pulled on it, and it turned out to be the top of a tree that had been caught up in the avalanche. So he carved it into a stick about two feet or two-thirds of a meter long. Ordinarily, this wouldn't be much of a find, but when one is buried just a few feet from the surface, it becomes a possible means of reaching out to the world above. And that's exactly what he did. With the stick, Everett was able to poke a hole through to the surface. A sense of joy and hope suddenly filled his mind. That's because Everett had previously arranged to meet two of his trapper friends on Sunday at a log cabin located about 12 miles or 20 kilometers away. He knew that if he didn't show up, they would realize something was wrong and they would come looking for him. Of course, there was one big problem with this plan. He was buried under the snow. Just because he was able to get a stick through to the surface, what would be the chance of anyone seeing it? All they would see was a thin stick pointing upward, you know, and that happens all of the time. Everett needed a way for his stick to be seen. He needed something colorful, something bright, something that would stand out against the stark white background of the snow he had only one thing that would do the job. In his wallet, he had bright red ticket stubs from the Black Cat Movie Theater in Stockholm. Using one of his wire snares, he tied the stubs to his stick and he pushed it up through to the surface. But his thoughts of being saved by his friends seemed to dim quickly. No one found him on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. You know, well, you got the idea. It was on the following Friday, six days after the avalanche buried him, that his friends finally skied up to his hut. There they found his gun, axe, and sled, but no Everett anywhere. They yelled for him several times, but there was absolutely no reply. You see, Snowfall had wiped out any ski tracks that Everett may have left behind, and they did see signs of a small avalanche, but they concluded that it wasn't massive enough to bury a man the two men raced back to civilization to get help. Search teams, with the help of a helicopter, spent all day Saturday looking for Everett, but to no avail. On Sunday, his brother Shell, that's K-J-E-L-L, his brother Shell led a small team to continue the search. He followed Everett's line of snares, many of which had snow-covered ptarmigan in them, but there was still no sign of Everett. Frustrated, Shell decided to sit down beside one of his brother's snares and have a quick smoke while he awaited word from the others in the search party. That's when he noticed something bright sticking up from the snow. At first he thought it was the remains of a withered plant, but a gut feeling inside him told him to go over and check it out. And you know exactly what he found. Ticket stubs from the Black Cat Movie House. No time was wasted in digging him out. They took Everett back to the hut and they warmed him up, but his frozen feet were in severely bad shape. Eight days buried under the snow led to months in the hospital recovering. Sadly, doctors had to amputate all the toes on one foot and everything up to the heel on the other. With the use of prosthetics and specially designed shoes, Everett was able to walk again, but hunting for ptarmigan was out of the question. A book of his experiences written in Swedish was published a short time later and sold well, this brought him a moderate amount of income, fame, and of course, many marriage proposals. Everett eventually moved to Stockholm, married, and had three children, but after a few years, he grew frustrated to city life and he moved back to the country. Life there wouldn't prove much better. In 1975, at the age of 43, Everett Stenmark ended his life by setting off a of dynamite on his family farm. Very sad. Useless, useful, I'll leave that for
2: you to decide. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast.
0: Kat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities.
2: The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media.
0: And now get ready to smile again with radio's home folks, Crisco's Vic, and Sage. But first, let's go visiting in Providence, Rhode Island. You know, one of the times you thank your lucky stars you got a cake on hand is when guests drop in on you unexpectedly, like they did on Mrs. Joseph Hughes of Providence one Sunday evening. By no time at all, Mrs. Hughes served a tasty snack to her company. Big slices of snowy white cakes she'd made the day before while taking part in a nationwide test of the new sure Mix Crisco. Well, sir, it was amazing how quick the conversation turned to cake. Say, Myrtle, this cake beats anything I ever tasted. Mm, gosh, it's good. Yes, it's a lovely cake, Myrtle. So light and fine textured. Is it from a new recipe? No, but I used a new shortening. A woman came to my door yesterday and gave it to me. She asked me to try it in a cake and see how it compared with my usual shortening. I wondered if you folks would notice the difference it made. Why, we couldn't help but notice. This cake runs rings around any cake you ever made before. And ladies, folks will be saying that about your cakes, too, when you change to the new Crisco. Hundreds of housewives, just like you, took part in that nationwide test. They baked cakes with Crisco and compared them to cakes made with their favorite shortening. Why, in this independent test, Crisco was tested for cakes against every type of shortening. And when these women asked their families which cakes they liked best, they voted four to one for cakes made with Crisco over all the other shortenings combined. And with good reason, because New Sure makes Criscos different from other shortenings. It's made by a special process that offers you three exclusive advantages. One, lighter cakes. Two, smoother textured cakes. Three, cakes that taste better than you can make them with any other home shortening we know of. So get Crisco, will you? And remember, it wasn't only four to one for lighter cakes, but four to one for flakier pastry, four to one for better
1: tasting fried foods. That was the family vote four to one for new sure Mix Crisco. That commercial for Crisco's from the march 14, forty one episode of Vic and Sade. The popular show ran on the NBC Radio Network for over fourteen years. The history of Crisco is quite interesting. Using the process of hydrogenation, where hydrogen gas and vegetable oil react to create a stable solid, it was originally intended to be used to harden oils for soap. Clearly, the geniuses of Procter & Gamble found another use for it. They introduced Crisco in June of 1911 as a cheap alternative to lard and butter, which were the most popular baking and frying products used back then. Crisco was an immediate hit. By 1916, Procter & Gamble was selling 60 million pounds of it a year. Then, in September of 1914, a competing product called Cream Crisp, that's cream and crisp beginning with the letter K, was introduced. And you know exactly where this was headed, to court. Procter & Gamble sued Berlin Mills, the manufacturer of Cream Crisp, for patent infringement. Now, I should mention that they both had patents on their processes. In 1920, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in favor of Berlin Mills and declared that Procter & Gamble's patent was invalid. But the fight had been costly for Berlin Mills, and Cream Crisp ended up being sold to Procter & Gamble and magically disappeared from the market. In other news, farmer Nathan Brown was bitten by a bee on July 6 of 1935. Writhing in pain, he made a dash for his farmhouse, only to be bitten on the foot by a snake along the way. Hmm, you know, it's probably time that he should go to a doctor. So he headed off to nearby Carrollton, Georgia, for treatment. Along the way, guess what? He was bitten by a bulldog. I guess there are some days that you're just better off staying in bed. On March 7th of 1952, there was a story in the British Medical Journal discussing an unnamed girl who was suffering from crippling arthritis coupled with a disfiguring skin disease. Her father did his best to find a doctor could treat his daughter, but nothing was successful. He repeatedly told others that quote, "I give my right arm to find a cure for her." But as they say, be careful what you wish for. One day, Father, mother, and daughter went for a drive in their car and got into a very bad accident. Dad's right arm was torn off in the crash. Amazingly, before dad's wound had healed, his daughter's arthritis and skin condition had miraculously disappeared. And the last story for today is from September 23rd of 1962. It was reported that a 26-year-old church organist from Stanley Common, England had decided to cancel her wedding. Sheila Rowe called off the nuptials because her husband-to-be, that was 22-year-old David Graham Hardy, gambled away all of his money. That was probably a smart move on her part. Quote, he lost the very last of it this week, the day before we're going to be married. The name of the horse that he placed his last bet on was, get this, the appropriately named Wedding Expenses. Well, that brings this episode of the Useless Information Podcast to a close. As many of you already know from Facebook, I have finally launched the Kickstarter campaign for my invention, The Expandable Universe. First, I'd like to send out a big, big thank you for those that have made contributions. Unfortunately, the campaign seems to have stalled. A lot of people have written to me, particularly in the animal groups, and told me that they love the idea, but very few have offered a pledge on Kickstarter. While I continue to sell a few books here and there, I basically lose money every year researching and writing these stories. If you'd like to contribute in some way, please consider supporting the development of my invention. Just go to kickstarter.com and search for expandable universe. You can pledge as little as a dollar and really a dollar is fine with me. If you could pledge something, that would be great. If you prefer not to, I certainly understand. The one thing you'll get if you go to Kickstarter is that you'll get to see me. Yes, me on video. It's not a professional video, but at least you'll be able to see what I'm like in real life. Again, just go to kickstarter.com and search for expandable universe. If you can help spread the word about it in some way to others, please do so. Anyway, I thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, particularly for taking the time to look at my invention, and I hope you'll tune in the next time. Bye.